Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Alric Purcell. And I'm Timothy Plain. Each week we discuss a different filmmaking topic and give our give you our point of view, not as experts, but as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. Mm-hmm. How you doing today, Timothy? <laughs> I'm doing all right. How about you? Good, a little tired, you know, but uh, yeah, excited. I'm, uh, I have a very optimistic, enthusiastic um, feeling inside of me right now, which I think comes from a, a variety of different things, but uh, one of them being the event that we went to on Sunday out in uh, Redwood City. The Oh yeah, the creative, what is it? Creative Cre- Crew. Yeah, Creative Crew Redwood City. Yeah. There must be other chapters of Creative Crew. Yeah, but it was it was wonderful. Um I'm gonna still butcher his name even though he said it correctly. Uh <laughs> Tony Gasp Gaspitone. No, that I it? think it's like Gaspion or like there's no like T or something like that. Gasp Okay. Well, <laughs> Tony, we'll, we'll get it right one day, Tony. I'm sorry about that, man. <laughs> Poor Tony. Yeah. We're never going to get his name right. But uh, yeah, it was one hell of an event. I didn't know what to expect. It was like a bunch of different artists and uh, giving presentations of their art. And it was not just movies, not just music. It was also like, you know, storytelling and uh, like talking about an art pilgrimage this one uh, woman went on and just meeting everybody that that was really really cool just to see all the different artists and we ran met a couple of people who listened to the show it was it was a really fun inspirational evening and i felt so pumped like walking out of there yeah me too i'm curious to know how you're feeling over the last week after talking to colin has anything changed for you uh, well, it was all like a, a kind of a collection of emotions and feelings around short films and, and being a filmmaker. I watched like 10 to 20 short films over a week or two. Uh, yeah. And uh, I started to like investigate and see people who were doing way better than, than our film had been done and even way better than Strange Thing had done. And, you know, the Vimeo staff pick people and all this other stuff and like just following other short filmmakers and short films. And I just got really discouraged from that. And then we talked to Colin and it was actually encouraging. It's not like he had any secret sauce or secret answer to like, you know, getting a Vimeo staff pick or like he did less work than we did uh, <laughs> to get his movies seen, you know, and the, and the Sintel one is obviously its own beast because that had like a marketing department and everything behind it. But the other ones, yeah, he just put them out there. And I guess that's what he's always done. It's it's refreshing to me because it, it makes me think if you focus on the work and you put it out there, you can have great success. Because that's kind of what I took away from our conversation with him. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, oh, he, he, he's had so much success and he, he's still struggling and that's really discouraging. Like, like that's not how I thought, thought about it. I felt like, <laughs> oh, man, like this guy's had such great success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just kind of felt like, oh, yeah, well, we'll got to go out there and make my next movie. Got to go put brother out there, see what I can do, you know? And it's not like, like I don't have access to this Vimeo staff pick club, so I'll never get a Vimeo staff pick. I mean, he didn't have right. any connection. He just put it out there and they, they liked it. So, you know, maybe that will never happen, but it's not like it can't happen and I don't need to like know the right person. Like I started to feel like that. Like I need to know the right person. I need to have the right connection in uh, order to be uh-huh. successful. And, uh, I guess that's not, I think that's just, uh, that's a narrative I've created in my brain, you know, without actually having any real evidence to back that yeah, up. I think there's a lot of narratives that we create in our brain. I mean, I, I created a narrative in my brain talking to Colin last week, kind of going back to some of the things that I believed I don't know, I guess five years ago when I was trying to like pursue probably like spirit machine. 
because I think you can focus on the wrong things and get a little sidetracked. I think for sure for Colin, getting online views is really important because where he's trying to get to requires those online views to get there. But he's also an overachiever. Like he, he can, if he can put a movie out and it can just virally get out there and a lot of people see it, that's going to not be the case for most of us. Mm. So over the last week after talking to him, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you just got to do something great. And this is like my kind of my pet peeve advice. Do something great. (laughs) Of course, we're all trying to do something great. I'm always trying to do something great. I'm trying to excel. I'm trying to be the best that I possibly can. But I'm not operating at the level that Colin's operating at. So it's unrealistic for me to think that I can compete with him. And I shouldn't be competing with him. I shouldn't be going after the online views because that's not necessarily the path that I need to take. Just because you try to get online views and you don't necessarily get as many as you as you wanted doesn't mean you shouldn't try to get them and doesn't mean that you shouldn't even want them but i mean it's so but but i think what you're saying it's also it's okay that you don't get them like you know if you if you want to get like 50,000 100,000 whatever 20,000 views and you only end up with a thousand or 2,000 or whatever or even less than that a 500 like you shouldn't really feel like a failure because you know, like these are things you can't control sometimes and you're doing everything you can to do to, to get it out there. I think you still just need to get it out there and push it out any way you can. And even if it's not a huge success, who cares? You did it. I mean, you have over a thousand views, you know, you can chase after that view carrot for sure. But at a certain point, and then I even want to tell Colin this is like, yeah, right now you're making a short film in hopes that it'll get as many views as your previous short films. But what if it doesn't? What next? And I think you need to ask, everyone needs to ask themselves, like, what if it doesn't? What next? Because if you put all your eggs into this basket of something you can't control, it's just like getting into Sundance or um, getting an agent. It's like, you can't, you have to be able to do it outside of things that you can't control. So if Colin can't get views on his next film, then he needs to do something else and he needs to be prepared for that. The views are not the the end all be all. There's other ways to get films made. There's other ways to persevere in this industry. And I think that what happens a lot is that we get as filmmakers, we get so focused on certain paths. It's almost like this uh story that's being told to all of us this is how you succeed you put a film online you get millions of views agents and managers come calling and boom you're off to the races (laughs) right only a few people are set up to compete in that space of the neil blom camps (laughs) and the colin levy's and the kid who did uh the evil dead that got picked up Mm -hmm. or mama you know only a few films are going to be handpicked from what gets put online and something done with it but just because it doesn't doesn't mean that it's over yeah after talking to colin his message was if something is good enough it's extremely well done and it moves people it will get passed around and i was like yeah that makes total sense and then I asked myself, like, am I capable of creating that movie? And I was like, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm good enough to make that movie. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> I've been doing it for 10 years. I look at what Colin's done over the last 10 years, and he's made like 
three really compelling shorts. So he it's built into his DNA. Sometimes that's just that's not your path. And you can and you can try. And I I think you should try if that's if that's the idea you have in your head, like, oh, I want to get a bunch of online views and then that's gonna propel my career. Try. But if it doesn't happen, that doesn't mean it's over. Like there's other ways to do it. To your point earlier, you're saying like that we all can't be in Neil Blomkamp's. We all can't be the guy who made that that panic movie that, you know, got him the evil dead yeah, job. Panic attack. Yeah. But uh I think any of us could be that person. But we're not all going to be that person. So I kind of feel like you should still try to put it because you never know. Like, I mean, Timothy, your next short film, Spirit Machine, if you put that online and, and, and you know, who knows? Like that could that could go viral. You have no idea. I think no one knows. So I don't think there's any problem with going after that. But I think the plan B option or plan B, C, D, E, F, G, like, you know, like having lots of different things that you're doing. I think that's a really smart way to approach it. Um, yeah. I want to talk to you about you know, what you did last week and your experience going to uh, production companies and sort of tie that into this discussion, because I think that, you know, not everyone's going to be able to have that kind of access, but I think that as a next step, once you have a few short films together that you're really proud of, you know, that kind of approach might be another thing to do. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, this is, I'll just tell you my experience and we can talk about it and you, you can tell me if there's follow-up questions, but as everyone knows, I've been trying to get production companies interested in me on the commercial side, so that way I can direct more. And when I first went out, I think it was around six months ago, I was in LA, and I met up with a few production companies, and pretty much everyone just said, no, like you need you need more work. Like right now, you just have short films on your reel. We need to see like a commercial piece two commercial pieces, three commercial pieces. I don't remember exactly what they said, but I, th I think they wanted to see a few of them. And then I got this opportunity at the agency to direct something. And that's the only difference between my reel six months ago and my reel now is this one commercial piece that I did for Cisco. And I went back out and I sent it to a bunch of production companies since I was in LA. And I got, a, I got six meetings last week and out of those six, five of them wanted to work with me all of a sudden. It wasn't like, we want to sign you to our roster and like you're in the big time kid, but it was like, oh, cool. I can really see what you're trying to do here. They all pointed out like the Cisco piece is really great. So it's just this one piece changed like the whole attitude of how people were receiving me. Mm. And that was, that was really eye opening too. It's like, I thought it was going to take a lot more, but the fact that it just took one was pretty cool. And were these the same companies that you'd seen six months ago? Or are these all new companies? They're all new companies. Okay. So yeah, you haven't you haven't gone back to the same the same well yet to see exactly what their response. No, were. I think to go back to the same well, you have to have a lot more. Right. Yeah. That's because now smart. they already have an opinion built upon me, and I have to break that opinion. So now I have to go back to them with like three pieces and be like, all right, how about now? So I think I asked you this question last time we talked about it and I'm going to yeah. ask it again, you know, just to be annoying. But uh, why didn't you position yourself as a narr narrative filmmaker and, and go out in that aspect? Why did you focus on commercials? What does that mean as a narrative filmmaker? Well, because like you have a reel that's almost all narrative projects besides like a couple of these commercial spots you did. And you sort of saying you saying you went out to sell yourself as a commercial director to get commercial work. Uh, why didn't you sell yourself as a narrative filmmaker to get narrative work? 
But what's narrative work? Who's paying for narrative work? I don't know. I mean, but you're saying that some of the companies you went to produced feature films and stuff. Like I, my, my feeling and like kind of getting a little deeper into the world is that people are not getting paid to make features. Mm-hmm. That features are passion projects. They're things that are done on the side with production companies to like pursue the creative hunger that they have. Commercials pay the bills and features are the side projects. Wow. And somebody once told me like uh, feature filmmaking is um, what, did, what did they say? Feature filmmaking is like a rich rich man's hobby or something like that, mm. which I can totally see why. It's one of the editors that I worked with somehow like they're related to the person who produced crash, the one that won the Oscar and that producer never saw any money for that movie. Mm. She, I think she lost money on that movie. Huh. So, I mean, you know, a movie of that caliber that's like winning awards and still not making any money. And I think it was like number one on Netflix and stuff. It's like, that's crazy. Like, yeah, I don't think that a lot of people are making money on, on features. Well, obviously some people are making money on features, you know, and there, there are people who are getting paid to direct movies. I mean, there, there are. Yeah. Just... But I don't, I don't think it's, I mean, name, name some directors that have at, at the low level that are, fully funded feature film directors and that's all that they do well it's funny i can't name any but going to film festivals i've met a few and mm. they're there they're out there they're just making these directed to dvd you know movies on low budgets they're not you know making a killing or anything but i think yeah. there there is definitely a world you could enter where you're directing a certain caliber of movie and you're getting paid not a lot but like you know like probably like a, a decent amount to uh, to just make these movies. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, but is that are those people like with the production company, or are they just they're finding funding? Like, this is what I think is that those people are just producing their own feature films. They're going back to the same investors. They're making money for their investors, and they're paying themselves through the production budget. That's not like there's a production company that they went to and said, hey, I'm a director. Let's go make a movie together. I yeah. don't think that's how it works. Well, I don't know. I think I think what you what you just said is how it happens a lot of the time. It's like a production company who gets investors and, and uh-huh. you know, makes a movie and then pays themselves out or doesn't, you know, whatever. Um, but... I do think there are production companies that hire directors to to direct narrative projects because I've I've heard uh, from you know a friend of a friend like he's sort of in that world a little bit and he like was working for a pr- production company that produces these low budget um, you know sci-fi and action director video type movies mm-hmm. and I almost well I didn't almost but I was like maybe gonna like go assistant direct for him on one of them and uh, it never ended up happening. But yeah, like that's, that's a guy who's doing that kind of work. Like he directed, you know, Species 3 and, you know, yeah. like a bunch of movies with, uh, Danny Trejo, you know, and Danny Glover and you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and I mean, I know that's not really a world that you're interested in. Like I think you would probably end up feeling depressed if you were directing direct to DVD movies, maybe. But, uh, 
I, I don't know. I mean, that's not a bad world for me, you know? Like, I, I see these movies on TV or, like, on Netflix and, and you know, that have budgets, that have uh, production companies behind them. And, you know, I mean, they're just not they're just not very good. Like, I feel like I could do better, you know? I mean, that's exactly the reason that I'm not going after it. I This is the first that I'm hurt hearing about it. That's not <laughs> even an option in, in the, the checklist of how to get a movie made right now. If there was a company I could sign with that would make features... I mean, I would definitely go talk to him, but I have no idea who those those people are. I'm not connected with them because my company doesn't make feature films. My company makes commercials, so that's right. that's where I'm. That those are my connections, and I'm just using the connections that I have to get meetings with people and try to make something happen. Yeah, well, it's like the Blumhouses of the world, the XYZs, mm-hmm. the uh, A24s, even I think, um, and there's a bunch of other ones, you know, and. Like, but those guys are investors. A24 is an investment company. But I think they also handle some sort of production. I went to their website and they had like a bunch of directors listed on there, like the A24 directors. So I think they do distribution and I, I don't know what role they play in production, but I, I think they definitely play some sort of role in that as well. But I don't really know how that world works either. I just, I talked yeah, to I've somebody. Never heard of this. I talked to somebody at a film festival uh, last year. And uh-huh. they were telling me like what I should do, like what companies I should like re- look to uh, for getting, mm-hmm. you know, to approach to like get a movie made. And they were like saying X, Y, Z, uh, I think A24. And then uh, I think there was one other one that if you get in with them, like they'll treat your movie well. And, uh, you know, they're like really good people to work with. And then I guess there's a whole slew of other ones that, you know, are a little you don't have as good of a track record, you know. But I mean, these are the people that I want to get in touch with and I want to like sort of try to get my foot in the door with. But I really have no idea how that works. I'm sure you're right. I'm sure a lot of people are in-house who they bring up as directors. I'm going, I'm on A24 right now. I'm looking at their directors. Roman Coppola, Harmony Corinne, Sophia Coppola. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these guys are, are commercial directors too. Jonathan Glazer. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what the Kevin Smith. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think you're probably right. Like getting in in the commercial side is is totally a viable thing to do. And, you know, especially if you have all these connections, like obviously that's what you're going to do. But I mean, I, I I still have that dream of like going around to different production companies with my, you know, short film reel or whatever, or my director's <laughs> reel. And, uh, you know, basically doing what you did last week, but in the context of directing features, not in the context of directing. I don't, I don't think that's how it works. I think that you have to go out with a project and you need to be like, hey, my name is Ulrich Bursell. I have this feature script called The Alternate that I, I want to make into a movie. Here's my short reel. This is what I've done so far. This is these are the stats, the film festivals I've been at, the film festivals I won, how many online views I have. Do you want to help me produce this? Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's the play. I don't think that you just go get signed as a director or that they're like, oh, Ulrich, we like what you're doing. Here's a script that we think that you'd be good at. I don't think that's how it works. I think mm. it's a project. Once you get to the feature world, it's project by project. You package projects, yeah. you know? And there might be some production companies that are a little bit more like, you know, the micro budget straight to video. That's just much more like a business and they're churning things out. And uh, they they have a slate that they need to fulfill, and maybe that's what you're talking about. Like, yeah, I think you go to so. a production company, and they have like they have to make twelve movies a year, but they still, I don't think they're just sitting on twelve scripts. 
I think they're looking for 12 projects. And so like A24, I mean, I don't know if they have any deals with the studio, but usually like you have to fill a slate of a certain number of movies. And what they're looking to do is to fill that slate with a certain number of comedies and horror movies and thrillers. And so if you come to them and you say, I have this sci-fi movie called The Alternate, and they're like, oh, great, we have a slot for a sci-fi movie and we need to have it done in the next six months. So how much does it cost? And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to do it for 200000 They're like, done. <laughs> you get 200000 Bring it back to us in six months. Uh, I think man. that's realistic, but I don't I don't think that, that sounds, anyone's going to give you a project. That I sounds think you amazing. Have to create, create the project yourself. Well, I don't know. I mean, I've been hearing on podcasts, and of course, all oh, this is just hearsay. And, yeah. you know, I've heard that, like, you, you come in with your scripts, like your, your personal passion projects, and then, you know, it's like they want you to work on like the stuff they already have, like they're looking for a director to fill for this project or, you know, they, there's a script that a company's trying to get made, but they're looking for a director, like, you know, throw that person in. I mean, maybe that's a more old fashioned, old timey sort of <laughs> yeah, thing, like um, from the mid nineties or the eighties or whatever. But that sounds uh, like Roger Corman style. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I just want to be ready for anything, I guess is, is the right is, is the way I'm looking at it. And I think, I think, what you're saying about the alternate and like going with a project is sort of how I've been thinking anyways. And like, you know, I have this movie that I'm like dying to make, you know, and I have other ideas for other movies I'd love to make as well. So I think I'm sort of set up for that, for that kind of experience. Um, but I guess it's still just getting your foot in the door is, is what's challenging. Cause I mean, and that's, I think that's where I see the short films. I like to see the short films as the way to get my foot in the door. And if I get enough views on a short film or on a collection of short films, then I can be like, Hey man, like here's, here's my short work. Like, you know, I haven't blown up yet, but I have a lot of success. I have this, this really kick-ass, uh, script that I want to talk to you about. Here's a synopsis and boom, just like send that email out to like, you know, a thousand different com- production companies and see what comes back. I think your foot in the door is going to be who you know. And I think that's the benefit of living in LA is to to be able to meet a person that's going to give you an opportunity less based off of the work that you've done, but more just because they like you. They think you're cool and that, yeah, your work means something, but it doesn't mean as much as their, their relationship with you. And I think that's what happens a lot in LA and that, and especially at, like at the a level where you're not just wowing people and blowing them away and getting like millions of views on your movie. And it's just, it's more like, Hey, let's give this guy a shot. He's a really cool guy. He seems to be doing pretty good work. Let's give him, give him a chance. I think it's a ha- lot harder to m- make an impression when you're on the outside trying to get in and you don't know anybody and you're just sending an email and you're trying to get in on the merits of your own work. I think that's where you really need to wow people. You know, as as independent filmmakers in the Bay Area, like I'm, I know a lot of people are already doing this. Like they're all people forming production companies, you know, and they start obviously with the commercial route to like make some money and and build up their brand. But then like their dreams are to like make features, you know. Like I know a few of these these uh, these guys and you know out there doing that. I would love to be a part of a company that of like you know a bunch of different independent filmmakers who all come together to create like one brand of films not necessarily saying they all have to be the same genre but like one sort of style like call it a production company and then using all their collective uh connections like four or five or however many people it is getting investors get a team of investors get them to 
bring in like two million dollars or whatever for a slate of like five, four or five movies, and then we all direct our own movie out of, under the same production company and do it all from the Bay Area. That would be super awesome, you know. Yeah. But well, I mean, you got to start. You got to start small. That's not going to happen automatically. Well, <laughs> automatically, yeah. Well, I think. Well, I had a couple conversations with a couple other filmmakers about this, and um, from there, talking with other investors, there. What I've been hearing is it's a lot easier to to re- get two million dollars mm-hmm. than it is to get two hundred thousand dollars, as long as that two million dollars is being spread across multiple bets. You know, it's like it's like hedge betting or hedge funding or whatever. I don't even know what the fuck it's like, but basically, (laughs) it's 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 like an invest. I'm not an investor, but it's like an investment tactic where you like you take a bunch of money and you don't put it all on one pony. You put it on on a few different ponies, and then if one of those go go does well then it pays for all the other ones. That's like what it pays venture for cap- the failure of everything else. Yeah, that's like what venture capitalists do, you know? <laughs> but like basically apply right. that theory to filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And uh I don't know. So I think you do have to for that theory to work, you have to start big. Like you can't just raise two hundred thousand dollars and then make one movie and then make more movies or whatever. Like I think in order for that theory to work, it's like you have to get a slate together first approach the investors with the slate then you get the two million dollars then you make all the movies within a certain you know time period gotcha so you need to go find 10 filmmakers each with a two hundred thousand dollar script and then you can package it together yeah or or three or three filmmakers or four filmmakers i think trying to run a company with 10 people is like i mean jesus you know like that's (laughs) i think trying to run a company with two people is hard enough but i think i think having three or four partners in something like this would be the right number because you don't want to spread yourself thin you know if you're just two of you trying to manage you know like five or or ten features like that's insane you know yeah that's interesting well don't talk about it go do it yeah i mean I, what i really want to do is just find somebody who's already set that all up and already had it done and just be like hey <laughs> i want to join your squad oh Throw you're looking for the easy way out yeah. i see <laughs> i want to i want to benefit off of someone else's uh hard hard work have you not already learned that there is no easy way out in this business? Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I, I know. That's what I've been learning, dude, is that there is. I know. I it, love it. We always, we convince ourselves that there's an easy way. Like even, um, you know, even thinking about like getting signed as a, a commercial director, like for years and years, it did seem like, all right, you get signed and then boom. Yeah. yeah. Everything always is like, boom, you're off to the races, but it's not true. You have to keep hustling. Yeah. If you get an agent. It's not the agent's job to get work for you. It's your job to get work for yourself and the agent to help facilitate it. If you get a commercial, if you're on a commercial roster, you have to hustle to get work. Yeah, no one's going to like be like, hey, Timothy, here's a, a million dollar commercial. Why don't you direct this one? It's going to no. be like, oh, there's Timothy, Pete, and Jackson. Like, they all want to direct this thing. They're all great for it. Uh, yeah. Which one should we give it to? And then it's like, you know, whoever. You know, whatever, whoever wins that battle. I don't know how you win that battle, but... uh, Well, phone calls and treatments, and sometimes directors will just be like, I want to come and meet with the creative team and sit down and have lunch with them. And, you know, it's it's up to you to figure it out. Mm, Go out, meet with agencies, and just be like, hey, I'm a newly signed director, and I want some work. Or call all your friends that you know that work at agencies and just be like, hey, can you help me out? It's like, you don't just sit around and wait for things to happen. No matter where you are, you have to hustle. 
Yeah. This whole business is about hustling. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what I think is the discouraging part is it does seem sometimes that it's like you're just going to win the lottery. You're going to put your movie online. You're going to get all these views and then boom, you win the lottery and you're, and everything's easy, mm. but it's not true. It's just the beginning of the story. And every director out there, anyone in the business is hustling, even though from the outside, it probably looks like everything's just coming easy. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think, the hustle thing is 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 where it's at you know and i mean i think putting your nose to the grindstone and just keeping doing your work and and making your thing i think that is really what uh what you got to do because yeah look hoping for this yeah this whatever it is this one film festival this one contest this one agent meeting or whatever that's going to change your life i think that's just uh that's just false that's just not how it's done <laughs> well I- Look at, we just talked to Colin last week and look how much success he's had. And he had heat. He had agents and managers reaching out to him and nothing happened. Well, he got his dream he job. He wasn't ready. Well, he's he a got his dream. artist said Pixar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that was his dream job. Working at Pixar uh, is probably his dream, but I'm sure in his head, working at Pixar was something different than what it ended up being. Yeah, but my, 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 my point is that if he didn't take the Pixar job or didn't do yeah. the Pixar route, he probably would have made a feature film back then, you know? Maybe. Maybe. It's hard to say. I think this whole mindset of, you know, <laughs> just just doing the work and like the the journey is the goal, you know, and like the journey is the reward. I think that doing the feature itself and getting to create that story, you know, with a, a team of amazing people. I think if I can just make it, I think that'll be a goal enough for me, you know, or reward enough. Yeah. Well, if there's anything that I got inspired from Colin about is just focusing on making your movie the best it can be. And that kind of like segues into our topic of the week is like, how do you know when you're done with something? I mean, you can work on something forever. I just read a quote from David Fincher yesterday where he was saying like, if you keep working on a movie, it'll just keep getting better. And this is this quote right now has been like attributed to many filmmakers. The last one I looked it up yesterday, it said David Fincher said it, but I've heard that it's Warren Beatty has said it, George Lucas has said it, Steven Spielberg has said it. But the quote is, movies aren't finished, they're abandoned. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree to that to some degree, but at, also we have to choose at some point to stop working on it. And especially on our level where we have total control over when a movie's done, you know, we have to, it, we're not on a schedule. There's no like release date set. And so how do you know when you're done with something? What what does done mean? So like over my dead body, a lot of the the editorial aspects of that were just like sending it out to people and then waiting for the notes to stop. Mm-hmm. As soon as the notes kind of like came to a trickle and it was just like there was only a few things left on it, then it's like all right, well I think we're done. I've been, I'm I'm doing everything that I've feel like I possibly can do. And it's also like going through every single performance take and choosing like the best performances. Um, But I think so much of it was like instinctual. Yeah. I feel like a little bit, it's just like, I feel like I've done everything I possibly can do. Like this is the best I can do with the footage that I have. There's nothing else that I want to try. 
I kind of feel the same way. You know, Brother was a little bit of a different experience for me because I had a producer who uh, I could like lean on to like get his opinion. And, you know, there were some things that he would like, you know, call out in a big way, you know, either, you know, he not not so much with uh, visual effects, but mostly with like music and edits and stuff. And uh, he would just be like, why do we do that? What's going on here? Why is that happening? You know? And <laughs> yeah. uh, it seems like a lot of decisions I make early on are the decisions that, that end up just being, just staying. Like once I decided to edit a scene in a certain way, maybe it would change a little bit after the, in the first couple of drafts or maybe even drastically in the first couple of drafts. But like after version two or three, like the scenes are pretty much edited in the way they're going to be edited. So like a lot of those decisions happen early on and I don't find myself going back and and changing things in a huge way. Like after I've already got that finished, the, right. it, then from that point, it's just like whether I cut the scene at this point or, you know, like come in later for this part of the scene or, you know, like little like things you're like, Oh, maybe this line is, is, is like not important. Like, let's cut that out. Like, you know, the, the, there's a scene in well, a lot of scenes of brother, but there's one in particular where I cut out like, you know, probably four or five lines of dialogue just because they weren't really needed, you know? And the scene kind of just sat there and I was trying to get it to have a certain rhythm, you know? And, uh, I had to just cut things down and it, it'd be a thing like where I was like, well, let's me see if, 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 if it works in the shorter version. And then I would, you know, send out the shorter version or like with the scene, like completely cut up and either a people wouldn't notice. And if they don't notice, you definitely know it doesn't belong in there. If like the impression is you're getting like really good feedback after you made that big scene and they're not even not necessarily mentioning that the scene is gone then you're like, oh my God, like that was perfect. That was like the right thing to do, you know? So that's sort of like how I, I judge things sometimes is like, sometimes it's when people don't notice that something's gone, then you really know that. <laughs> it's <laughs> that not did, needed. It didn't need to be there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a hard thing because it is, you know, it's, it's easier to have somebody else come in and tell you it's done, but that's usually not something that really happens. Yeah, you, you have to decide for yourself. And Spirit Machine was one of the toughest cuts for me to lock because I wasn't happy when we locked it. Mm. But at the same time, I had no ideas. My editor had no ideas. My producer had no more ideas. I had no more ideas, but I was so depressed about how it turned out because I think that I just fucked it up. I think I, I didn't shoot it right. Because well, hmm. all the other movies that I've locked cuts on, I haven't felt as depressed as I did on Spirit Machine. Huh, that's interesting. I walked away from wa locking that cut and, and telling my editor, it's like, well, I guess that's a good as good as it's going to get. That's a really sad thing to oh, say yeah. when you're you know, locking a cut. You know, part of it's also because there was no visual effects, there's no sound design, there's no music, you know, mm. it's really rough. When you're doing like visual effects stuff, you don't have like a bunch of previs in there. It is kind of hard to know what you have. Yeah. So in that case, I think I just stopped working on it because I had no more ideas. I had no other ideas on how to make it better and no one else, no one around me did either. 
and so we just locked it and moved on. Yeah, you, you reach a point where yeah, it's it's as good as good as it's gonna get. You know, like I think <laughs> I think I think a lot of people have probably felt that way. You know, to varying degrees of of depression. You know, I mean, I kind of yeah. felt that way with Strange Thing. Like yeah. you know, I, I did the best I could. Like you know, not everything's working, but. At least it cuts together and it's a story that makes sense and and uh, yeah you yeah, know that's what I felt too. Mm. So I don't know, but I think with brother it was interesting because like my uh, my producer was like saying the movie was like like just lock it, lock it, lock it. I just couldn't lock it. I kept on tinkering and tweaking and you know making things <laughs> better and and shorter and like trimming and I think uh, in the end. Uh, you know, all those little changes are going to make a big difference, but like for my producer and my DP, I think they, they really started to like not be able to really give me any more help there because like they've just seen it so many times and they're not as close to it as me. It's like, it just looks the same to them. And I would show my wife, I'd be like, Oh, come on, watch this thing. Like, is it better this way or is it better that way? And she'd be like, it looks exactly the same. Like there's no difference. I was like, no, wait. His his cheek moved in a way this like <laughs> yeah isn't, isn't that, that kind of cool doesn't that matter yeah. <laughs> but you can drive yourself crazy with all the different options yeah. and like you know at a certain point most people aren't going to notice but it is like you know I think I've said this before that you have to push that extra ten percent the extra ten percent does matter so like I'm glad that you just kept going with it because it it will matter on some level people might not notice it but they'll feel it. Yeah, and and this hasn't really happened with Brother yet because I haven't really watched it um, completed enough times yet. But on Strange Thing, I'd be watching it in the theater at a film festival and I'd be like, wait, why the hell did I cut there? Why did I have my edit there? Like, what the freaking heck was I I'm having that with Over My Dead Body. When we watch, uh, so we've seen it now twice with an audience and both times there's decisions that we made in the edit that I'm regretting. But part of it's also just decisions that I made while shooting that I'm regretting because it's just pieces that we don't have. I wish I would have shot that whole opening sequence completely differently now. Mm. I love the opening sequence. So I, w- I wish you would lay off it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Every time I see it, I'm just like, I cringe. Oh, it could be so much better. This could be so much better. And maybe that would would have been the difference between people watching it and passing it around online and not. Well, we're going to have a whole episode, hopefully, where we, we talk about this in detail. So I'll save my comments for then. Yeah, we'll save that, that later. Okay, cool. Um, I can't wait. When do you know when, like, music is done? That's one I want to really talk about. Because that's really... I had a big struggle with that on Brother. And I, I sort of want to know, like, how you... What your approach is and, and when you feel like something is ready. Uh, pretty much every part of the process, even after I felt like it's done... Some somewhere along the way after I've locked it, I start regretting it. So even on music, there's been moments where I've like, I think even watching Over My Dead Body on Sunday, there's some music in there that I kind of didn't love. Yeah, and I wish I wish that I had done differently. But you can only make the decisions at the time that feel right. And at the time, I was happy with the music because it made me feel something. And that's to me, like music is the emotional component of storytelling. So as if I feel something when I'm listening to it, then I know it's working and I, I can only trust my own emotions. I don't know what other people are feeling. Mm, so that, interesting. That's, that's how it works for me. How many variations of the music did you have your composer do for you? Do you think for over my dead body? Yeah. Um, probably three different versions for each scene. 
three variations, three passes. Yeah. yeah. So like the first pass was like, all right, here's what I think it should be. And then he did it. And I'm like, okay, I was totally wrong. That's not what it should be. <laughs> Let's try this instead. And then he tried something else. But okay, that's closer. Let's just tweak this and this and this. And then he did it. I'm like, great. I love it. That's perfect. Let's go there. Yeah. I, uh, I tend to do a lot more variations with my, uh, with my composers. Um, I think I did somewhere between 10 to 12 on wow. brother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Vincent hates me for introducing you. Yeah. To I think he wants to kill me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, it was really a thing where it needed to be just right and, and very subtle and, uh, and very big in certain areas. I'm not really a musical person, so it's really hard for me to communicate, um, these ideas, especially when we're not meeting in person ever. It's just over the phone or, um, mm -hmm. over email. I, I think it was just hard for me, but I mean, you know, he did great work and I'm really, really happy with what we ended up with. But it, this isn't just him. This is every composer I've worked with. Like on the, the zombie drone thing, it was at maybe not as many, maybe not 10, but it was like six or seven. And he was getting really <laughs> frustrated with me. <laughs> but, uh, but we got to a place where I was happy. And how do you, how did you know you were done? I pretty much knew because it was giving me the right, like you're saying, like the feeling, you know, and it wasn't the other thing with music that I, I really think about is like, it's not distracting from the performance. You know, and that's not taking me out of the scene. And then I'm not paying more attention to the music than I am to the the actors and to the story. You know, yeah. and I think music's dangerous because it can really detract from things. And I had a, a couple of music beats that I added in Brother sort of halfway through that I thought were kind of fun, you know. But then I realized after sending them to a few people that it was killing some uh, potential comedic moments and laughs mm -hmm. by having like these dramatic moments and so yeah. i took sometimes it's better not to have music at all yeah and and i think the thing with brother is it it played really well with no music my producer was like why do we even need music in this movie there should be no music except for the final scene i was like oh my god <laughs> that seems a little <laughs> that seems a little crazy you know so we definitely did some throughout but i mean you know it is pretty minimal, minimalistic on music, which is exactly opposite of what Strange Thing. Strange Thing was almost like a music video, um, in the, in the very <laughs> beginning. Like he, they had like a, a like a score that just sort of ran through the whole movie, and and my uh, my sound designer actually helped me take it out, which was really smart um, in the end. But, but uh, I think what I'm hearing, I think there's two answers that we're coming up with uh, over and over again. Is sure one. You think it's done when you have no more ideas. <laughs> yeah. And then the other, it just comes down to, um, you know, kind of your taste as a filmmaker. You're done when you're happy. You're done, like, like especially with music, it's something that's so, so personal. You know, you, not everybody's going to choose the same type of music and choose when it's done. I think that's like where... a especially a filmmaker puts his or her stamp on things is in the music aspect of it. And I also think in editing too, it's like uh, at a certain point, it just comes down to taste mm -hmm. and like you, when you feel like things match up to your expectations of what a movie should look like or how your story should be told, that's when you stop. 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think also when people that your team isn't complaining about it, you know, and your team, <laughs> like no one's saying like, oh, that, that, I really like that scene, you know, but, but X, Y, Z, you know, when you're not getting those comments, I think that also helps. But yeah, you do really just need to trust yourself in the end because, you know, no one's going to pay as much attention as you are. No one's going to care as much as you do about your project. So in the end, you're the one that has to really really just you know cut the umbilical cord you right. know <laughs> ideally i would feel like my movie was perfect before i stopped like i would hate to move on if i didn't feel it was perfect but unfortunately i've never been in the situation where i felt like something was perfect yeah me neither you know it's usually kind of like that that feeling it's, it's as good as it's going to get with what i have yeah and and for like visual effects for me, it's like, as long as it's not glaringly embarrassing, you know, and like, you know, it, it looks convincing enough. Like that's usually like when I, I decide that I'm not going to put my visual effects artists through hell anymore. Or well, that's the other thing. Let's talk about that because part of me feels like you should push everyone to, for, to, towards perfection. Right. Right. And you should never stop. You should never give up until it's perfect. And then you can only give up when there's just no other choice but to stop. Right. But I've been in the same situation that you're talking about where you just feel like you can't push people anymore. Like even on Spirit Machine, I'm at the point now where like pretty much any shot that's coming from India that that needs to be approved for them to finish, I'm just approving as long as it's not embarrassing. But yeah. I'm also looking at it going, that could be a little better. That I can make that better. But I don't want to keep going on it. Yeah. <laughs> I, have to, I have to stop at a certain point. In the early part of Spirit Machine, when I was getting shots from people, I was pushing for like perfection. And then I, I got to the point where I realized there's too many shots to do every single shot like that, and it'll never get done if I don't stop. But then there's a, a guilty part of my conscience that's like, wow, I'm, I'm compromising it. I'm compromising my movie. And this is like the only time in my career I shouldn't be compromising because this is my calling card. Yeah. So it's like, it's this weird battle, like this back and forth. It's like the battle between compromising and the reality of the situation. And then also kind of this fantasy of like doing everything perfect. Yeah. You know, I think it, it, it all comes down to compromise, honestly. Like, I mean, I'm not going to say that everything I've done is perfect and, or anything I've done is perfect, you know, like I've always had to make compromises and, and I wonder if that ever changes. Like, I wonder if like, you know, Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese are going, oh yeah, it's perfect. I'm sure there's things that they're uncertain about or, or co compromises they made, you know, based off of like, you know, what their editor wanted or what someone else, I mean, I'm sure like there's, there's gotta be some give and take even in the big level, you know? Yeah, um, I think it, I think at our level, we compromise a lot more because we don't have the resources or the money. Like you, I hear about how the approval process works at ILM and they work like crazy amount of time on like a single shot. So oh, yeah. I know that people working with ILM are getting every shot like perfect. Oh yeah, absolutely. But there's other, there's going to be other compromises that have to be made. Like especially shooting, I think you're constantly making compromises, but I think you, you're settling for a lot less. Like now I feel like I'm making more compromises than I would be if I had money. If I had money to pay people 
then I think that I would have a lot more freedom to keep pushing and pushing to make things better and better and better. Yeah. I, I tend to really just push people and like when, when people are ready to be <laughs> done working on it and like if they're working for me for free or as a favor, I always over, I've been over asking, I over asked so much on brother. It's ridiculous. You know, I feel, <laughs> I feel so lucky to have the team I have and like that they don't all hate me now. Cause like I put the VFX guy through the ringer, the motion graphics mm-hmm. guy through the ringer, the, the music, the composer through the ringer, uh, even the sound designer. I mean, I, everybody has told me like, I worked twice as much as I, I thought I was going to on this thing, you know? And I'm like, well, it's that's, great. You did that's a good awesome. Job. I think you need to do that, but it's, yeah. How do you find the balance of like how, when you're asking people for too much, like, do, do they just tell you at a certain point, like, all right, dude, I'm done. Yeah, I don't know. I think people have a really hard time saying no um, sometimes, you know, and, and putting their foot down. But yeah, I mean, I've had a couple of people like be like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. You know, like <laughs> this has got to be it. And unless it's like something that's like, you know, obviously a, a, a problem, like an error or a problem that like just needs to be fixed. Uh, if it's if it's more of like a style thing or like you know oh I really liked it better this way or can you try some, like then they're like no 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 it's yeah, over <laughs> that's true on Spirit Machine I did have yeah both visual I, I'm working with three visual effects companies and two of them told me like they had to stop so yeah, yeah. I did have I did hear no I was gonna say like did I not push people hard enough is like no I pushed them to the point where they said they couldn't do it anymore yeah one of the companies is like we're sending you all the shots um, the final completed shots I was like oh what if I have notes they're like oh well they're no they're done oh okay, <laughs> okay. okay thanks no no they're, they're, they're finals <laughs> yeah they're done and then I think I wrote them back like a few weeks later and been like well there's a few problems like these are just like things you have to fix because this doesn't make any sense. And so they went back and did it. But yeah, I had a couple other questions. There was one big thing. I can't, it was a completely different thought, but I I can't remember what it is now, but I I had another one. I wanted to just ask you like when I was making strange thing and when I was editing strange thing, I kind of just felt like I'll never do it like that again. Like, Oh man, that was such a tough experience. Like, Oh, I hope it's easier. Like, Oh man, this is really, this isn't turning out well, like all those things. And like, now that I'm finishing brother and like, I'm feeling those same things about brother and I look back (laughs) at strange thing and I'm like, Oh, that was so wonderful. Oh, why can't things be like it was on Strange Thing? Like, ah, it worked out so well and all, you know. Revisionist history. It's so funny. And I'm just like, I guess the the grass is always going to look greener on the other project, you know. And I'll probably, on my next short, I'll be looking back at Brother being like, oh, that was so wonderful. Like, oh, why can't things be like that now on this one, you know. (laughs) That totally happened to me. So the same producer that produced Man's Best Friend produced Spirit Machine and when I think around the time when I was locking the rough cut and I was just so depressed, I'm like, well, I guess that's as good as it's going to get. And he was like laughing at me. And he's like, dude, you you were exactly the same way on man's best friend. I was like, really? I remember feeling so happy when that when we locked the cut like that. We nailed it, that we killed it. He's like, no, you were super depressed. You didn't feel that way until after people saw it and liked it. I was like, oh, okay, well, good. I mean, it's like you kind of need the people around you to like remind you of how things actually went down. And I, what I find is the more movies I make, kind of like sometimes the easier it is to get through those down emotions because you're like, oh, I've been here before. Like this is nothing new and I'll swing back up eventually that I just need to like not let this get me too down. 
Yeah, it's it's so funny. Like the whole time making Brother and everything, I was like, okay, like I it, like Brother's got to do better than Strange Thing. Like Brother has to have a better online presence. Brother has to do this and that, and you know that was like sort of like my whole thought process. And I was like pretty damn sure all the way through making it that it was gonna do well online. And like now after having what happened with Over My Dead Body happen, and like us yeah. doing all the right things and not getting very much very many views now i'm thinking like oh god brother has to get at least as good as strange thing like oh man like i'm like living in the shadow of strange thing in a way because like not to say that strange thing did amazingly well but like i got into 20 film festivals and you know it it's got like 50,000 views online you know right well you don't want it it. to feel you want to feel like you're making progress and if you don't get at least as many views on it you're going to feel like you've taken a step back right and i kind of just feel like like oh god like like that's gonna be hard to live up to like i i kind of like i realize now that like getting fifty thousand views isn't easy you know uh, right and it's not something you can control either it's right. not like you can just fabricate it out of thin air no 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 matter how many people you email or no many <laughs> how many like articles you get written about it yeah it's true but uh i don't know we'll just have to see what happens man i mean yeah you, you just control the things that you can control. Like, just make that movie as good as it possibly can. I know you're almost at, you're you're pretty much done with it, but I think you've done that. It sounds like, especially after our talk today, you pushed everybody as far as you possibly can. Yeah. And so now, now it's out of your hands, out of your control. Now, actually, just do the things you you still can do, which is reach out to people and tell them about it, and enter it into the festivals. And yeah, the uh, the day this airs, if we if this airs next Monday. Um, I will have uh, just finished the color correction uh, that last weekend. So, like, I'm going to L.A. Um, on Friday, and I'm going to sit with the colorist on Saturday and Sunday and do all the final color, all the final visual stuff, and then walk away with um, the finished uh, color edit, you know. And then at that point, the only thing that's to change will be just the title, you know, if, if I get a new title graphic done or Are not. you ready for the next one? Yes, I'm ready to make the next one, but I'm terrified to show anyone brother. Like, I really, I, I can't even, like, I think my family wants to watch it during Thanksgiving, and I, I don't even think I can show it to them. Is I'm, that because you're afraid of what they're going to think? Yeah, it is. I'm what's afraid. The, what's the worst case scenario in your head right now? That they're going to just think it's insane and, like, not get it and not understand it and not like it and be like, <laughs> why, what the fuck was that? You know, it's like, why do you waste all your time this year on this? Like, oh, that was good. That was oh, good. Good job, Ulrich. Yeah, I thought that was yeah. really interesting. That's what my mom's like. And then she'll then she'll say that, and then she'll be like, "Why did you do X? Why? What? I really think you know, Ulrich. Next time you should do this. I don't know why you decided to uh, and like just go on, and then I'll just be yeah. dying inside. Well, I would on say Thanksgiving. You might as well just show it to them. Right, you're gonna find out one way or or another what they feel about it, and there's all you stand to do is gain at this point. You've already convinced yourself that they're gonna hate it. Yeah. So they could surprise you and like it, and it might boost your ego. And if they don't like it, you're like, "Well, that's what I expected." 
Yeah, I think I'm just scared for anybody to see it, you know, and, and uh, I don't know, I, I think uh, maybe you're right, maybe it'd be healthy to just show it to s- some people and like do some some private screenings and, uh, you know, see what people think. I'm sort of terrified of this movie, like I just think it's going to be a big, I'm just worried it's going to be a big failure. I, I don't think it will be, but I'm still, I'm just worried it will be. Yeah. You know, because it, 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 it's so much different than whatever other people are making. And I mean, I always think making different things is good. But like, you know, I think certain short films are successful because that's what people like. People like to see things that are familiar. Like maybe there's some things that are familiar about Brother, but I think pretty much a really oddball, weird ass movie. It is. It's a, I think it's a really challenging movie. I think it's going to be challenging for audiences. I'm so curious to see how it's going to work for people. But I think but, you know, some people are going to like it, though. But I think some oh, people yeah, are going to. Of course. Yeah. It, you're going to find people that like it, no doubt. So I wouldn't worry about that. But, I, you know, it's like uh, the there's a Script Notes podcast recently where they're talking about how the reason that certain movies get made and we complain about them is because those are easy films to sell to an audience. Yeah. Right? And it's like you might like a movie that you wouldn't normally go see uh, more than a movie that's you see the trailer and you're like, Oh, I kind of know what that is. And I'm going to go see it because that's easy for me to understand what I'm getting myself into. That's going to be your challenge is that people aren't going to feel like this is anything they've seen before. And I don't know how that that's what kind of reaction that's going to cause. Yeah. It might be, it might be great. People might be like, Oh (laughs) wow, this is so interesting. What a weird arty movie. You got to see you like you got to see this because it's so different or it could just be like, oh, I that was weird. Huh? Okay. well, thanks for trying something new. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at over my dead body, like that graph is so telling. The first day it came out, all these people watched it and then it just goes downhill from there. Right. (laughs) It just just shows you like what happened. That's exactly what happened with the movie. People watched it and didn't pass it on. That's all that happened with it. Yeah. So like, is it going to look like that or is it going to look the other way where it's, it's like a steady climb up where people are like, cool, this is awesome. Pass it on. Cool. This is awesome. Pass it on. And it just keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. It'll be fun. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. So last, last kind of thing is on the screenplays. So I'm, I have a draft of haunted toy house that I've been sharing around with people to get their feedback on but I've also decided to send it out to some producers and the reason I did that was because I felt like it was close enough that there wasn't any major glaring problems with it that I could get people to see see it for what it was without getting too scared about you know any of the problems that there are in there I I feel like a screenplay is never done until you're actually shooting it it's always constantly changing so oh yeah I think it's easy I think that the danger with like knowing when you're done is it's easy to feel um to to get paralyzed waiting for something to be completely perfect before you share it with the world and sometimes especially in the screenwriting phase I feel like you need to get it out there before it's perfect this is why because screenplays are it's writing and you can change anything so there's always something you can change like the thing about editing that i like is that you only have the footage you have 
You right. can't create new footage from thin air. Where I think the problem with screenplays is, is that you can create new things from thin air that it gets overwhelming sometimes. You can create new characters, new scenes. You can change the entire plot of the film just by like thinking about it. So I think that you need to sometimes just like trust your gut a little bit in the screenplay phase and just say, this is close. This may not be perfect, but it's close and it'll get better and better and better. And there's no huge major problems that I think is going to turn a reader off. Right, right, right. That's where I'm at. How about you with with the alternate? Um, yeah, I guess I just want it to be, to be fulfilling on the synopsis or fulfill the synopsis and the premise as much as possible, you know, and feel like the story I want to tell is is on the page, you know, and that there aren't any like you know, big story errors or, you know, like things that are missing or things that don't make sense to an audience. Like I want to, I want the reader to be able to read it through and get engaged with it and be excited by it, you know? And if it's not, it's not going to be perfect, but it just needs to be close enough where it's conveying the right feelings and the right emotions that, uh, you know, that I'm trying to get across and basically get the general sense of my vision from reading the script, you know? Yeah. Um, and then also on top of that, just making sure it's professional and that it's, it's something that they, that someone will actually read and not get turned off on by on page eight or nine or 10 or whatever. <laughs> right. I think the first, definitely the first 10 pages of screenplay are really important because people form an opinion really quickly and then you got to pull them in and then, yeah, of course the whole thing has to be good, but those are like, you, you don't want to lose anybody. Make sure that those pages are just absolutely perfect. Well, well going back to script notes, they do that three page challenge thing. Cause they say oh, that yeah, like people, that's so good. you know, like, well, if you, if you read the first three pages of a script and they're, those aren't good, like it's like, you know, they'll just, people will just throw it away or put it down, you know? Yeah. So like getting through the first three pages is really important, I think. And then getting like, if that gets them to read till page 10, I think that, you know, that needs to be very, very strong and very interesting. And if you, if you can get them within that time, then I think you get them for the whole script, you know, but if, if you don't have them within the first 10 to 20 pages, I think you're going to be screwed. And everyone go listen to the script notes, three page challenges. They're really helpful to hear those guys talk about, you know, what works and what doesn't work and what they see. I mean, the amount of of information you get from three pages is pretty astounding. Yeah. A lot can happen in three pages and, and those three page challenges are they, the ones they usually pick a lot usually does happen in the first three pages, yeah. you know? Um, and it's really inspiring because it's like, Oh wow. Like why am I taking so much time to like, you know, show my character waking up in the morning? <laughs> like what the fuck? You know? Right. Yeah. Completely. <laughs> this just in on Twitter 46 minutes ago. But Matthew Scott at Famous Motion Picks wrote, one of the most down-to-earth filmmaking podcasts I've ever come across. Holy shit. And he sent out an iTunes link. Oh, my God. With at MMIH podcast, hashtag indie film. It's wow. already got five retweets. Wow. Thank you, Matthew Scott. Uh, We're blowing up. We're blowing up uh, on Twitter. That makes my day, man. That's just really, <laughs> that really does it. Um I, I have really another have... one. I have another one. Oh, you do? Another one? Holy shit. Uh, a review on iTunes. Oh, my God. We just met this guy at the Creative Crew meetup. Oh, sweet. Israel. Israel. I love that yeah. guy. He said, uh, I originally heard about this podcast at the San Jose International Short Film Fest where I saw Over My Dead Body. After listening to a few minutes, I was hooked. I've completely, completely caught up over the past three weeks or so. Perhaps my favorite thing about this podcast is how real it is. 
Every week, two guys go through the ups and downs of pursuing their dreams and usually end up with some positive takeaway. <laughs> usually. <laughs> the, di- <laughs> the dynamics of Ulrich and Timothy's personalities are a lot of fun to listen to. Overall, I'm a listener because it's fun, it's encouraging, and it's seriously inspiring. Great stuff. Five wow. stars. Oh, my God. I want to give that guy a hug. That's... uh. That is truly like the best review. Well, I don't know. We've gotten a lot of great reviews. We've got a lot of great reviews. Thanks everyone for yeah. posting these things up. It's yeah. I mean, this it makes it all worthwhile when you just read like a positive review like that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's worthwhile anyways because I I gain so much from these conversations. You no, know? I do too. But I mean, all the the work and time that we put into it. Yeah, and like we could have these conversations without recording them and editing them and putting them up online, and <laughs> we would still and we would get something out of it. But the fact true. that we're putting in like hours of work every week to share these with people to hear people appreciate them makes all that time worthwhile. Like the early mornings and the the time that that's the late nights editing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but I think if if we didn't have a podcast, I don't think we would talk every week, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. So it makes us, it, it makes us accountable to have these, these conversations, you know, which I think yeah. is what I was hoping it would do. And, uh, when I, well, when we did. first had this idea and it, yeah, it has, that's pretty great. Yeah. All right. Should I take us out? Take us out, man. All right. Thanks for listening. Help other people find us. Leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It really does help us get populated into lists. And if people do a search for like independent filmmaking podcast, we'll get to the top of the list with the more reviews that are out there. Um, Check out our new website, makingmoviesishard.com. I think it's getting better and better every week. It just, I love the, the show notes and the little links we have to videos. Um, all the stuff for Colin's episode, like you can watch every single one of his movies. And I just added one of his early short films that he talked about up onto the show notes. So go check that out. Oh, sweet. Also start a conversation in the comments section. All Rick and I are up there on every episode, trying to get conversations started. Um, We've had a few instances where some really cool things have happened and we want to see more of that. I think this should be a a place for communities to start building. Like you can meet other filmmakers on there, share your opinion, get advice on something that's on, on your mind. So get up on that and let us know what you think. Um, And if you want to do it privately, you can send us an email at, podcast at making movies is hard.com and we'll share it on the show and links to our twitters and facebook's and emails are all up on the website so go to making movies is hard.com and you can find all that stuff uh thanks for listening yeah and uh and thanks thanks Ulrich. yeah thank you timothy and i guess we probably want to thank colin again for being on the show last week that was uh, pretty amazing of him to do that and uh yeah, I'm really excited to see how many people, you know, what people's reactions to that are. Yeah. And by the time this comes out, we'll know. So sorry. <laughs> sorry, we we don't know at this moment. Sorry, we don't know now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, have a good week and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks so much. Have a good one.